0: Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. I want to welcome all of you here today. It's great to have you with us. And here we are at the end of Thanksgiving week, and I have a few thank yous that I need to mention. Uh, First, I want to thank Tom and Sheila for being here and sharing with us. I really appreciate the good work that they're doing down in Guatemala, and it's been great to partner with them over the years. I also want to thank anyone who helped with our Thanksgiving dinner that happened over here at the Life Center with all of those international students from NKU. There were 66 students. I wasn't able to attend personally, but it it looked awesome. So thank you for everyone who helped with that. I also have to thank Jimmy, man, uh, for braving those goats to help us get the word out about next Sunday. I'm really glad that he survived that ordeal. And finally, I want to thank God. I want to thank God for all the blessings that he sends our way. Sometimes life is hard. That's very true. But we always have so many reasons to be grateful. And this week was a great opportunity to count those blessings. Well, I'm excited to get back to this sermon series called Legacy. We're in the fourth and final week of this series. And last Sunday, Jared did a great job preaching while I was out. I had the chance to listen to his sermon online, and it was really encouraging. It was also really challenging. In fact, I have to say, this whole series has been challenging. We've been asking questions like this. What kind of legacy are are we going to leave behind after we're gone? What kind of long-term impact are we making in this world? What, What are we passing down to the next generation? I'll tell you, part of the reason these questions are especially challenging for me right now, just a couple months ago, the month of September, I had one of those major milestone birthdays. I hit the big 5-0. Kind of hard to believe. So it's been a couple months now, and I'm still not used to being 50. It's just a big number, and I wasn't quite ready for it. But a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my brother, and he tried to put this in perspective. He said, think about it this way. When you are 49, you are a very old, young person. But when you turn 50, you're a very young, old person. So, according to my brother's math, I am very young in some way. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'll take it. All that to say, though, turning 50 has really brought home the fact for me that life is short. It, really do- it doesn't matter how long you live in this world, whether it's 25 years, 50 years, 100 years. Compared to eternity, this life is just a tiny blip. And because of that, we want to make the most of the time that we have here in this world. And that's why a series like this is very helpful. In this series, we're setting aside our temporary, short-term concerns. And we're thinking long-term We're thinking about, if we want to leave a great legacy, how should we live here in the present? Last week, Jared said, if if you want to leave a great legacy, you, you have to realize something. All of us have been blessed by God in so many ways, but He didn't do that for us to just soak up those blessings for ourselves. No, we have been blessed to be a blessing for others. So that means if my life is mainly about me, I'm not doing it right. And if my life is mainly about me, I'm not going to leave a great legacy. And that principle ties in perfectly with other things that we've learned in this series. Over the last three weeks, we've learned that number one, no one leaves a great legacy by accident. you got to be intentional. Number two, the life you live, your actions That builds a stronger legacy than the words you speak. Number three, you don't have to be a superstar to leave a great legacy. And number four, the greatest legacy points others to Jesus. And as we wrap up this series, we're going to bring together all of these principles and map out a course that can show us where to go from here. And as we get started, I want to focus again on number four from this list. The greatest legacy points others to Jesus. Back in week two, I said that statement is only true if Jesus is who he said he is. And who did he say he is? Well, let's go back to that bold declaration he made in John 14:6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me two weeks ago i said there are good reasons to believe that this statement is absolutely objectively true jesus is not just one of many different ways to get to god he is the only way to god and because of that the best possible legacy you can leave is to live a life that points others to jesus and that's our mission as a church God has given us this task of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus, both here in our local community and also globally around the world. So yeah, that's the greatest legacy you can leave. Let God use you to point others to Jesus. But you know, when when we use that phrase, pointing others to Jesus, we often think about that in terms of evangelism, uh, speaking with our words to share the gospel, And that's certainly accurate, but it's also helpful to look at something Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is very cool. When followers of Jesus shine like a light in this dark world, we can help others come to know the one true God and worship him. And according to Jesus here, what does it mean to let your light shine? Well, it's not complicated. Shining your light is about going out and doing good. That means you don't always have to use words to share the gospel. We can point people to Jesus and leave a great legacy through simple but extraordinary good deeds. Now, the word extraordinary is important here uh, your light doesn't shine if your good deeds are just kind of normal or commonplace, because lots of different people, lots of people do a lot of good in this world, and a lot of those people are not Christians at all. So your good deeds, if you're going to shine a light in a way that leads other people to God, they, they can't just be normal. They need to be Extraordinary. I'm talking about the the kind of good deeds that are only possible if God himself is working in you and through you. And I'm sure all of us like this idea. Uh, We all want to do a lot of good in the world. We all want to make a difference. But there's one little catch here. If you want to be used by God in an extraordinary way, you're going to have to let go of some things that you probably don't want to let go of. That reminds me of a man that Jesus met over in uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. This, This man was young, he was rich, and he was powerful. He had a lot going for him. Unfortunately, though, this man did not make the most of his life. He did not leave the kind of legacy that God wanted him to leave. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and pull up Mark, chapter 10, Uh, We're going to read through this encounter between the rich young man and Jesus. And as I read through this passage, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to listen very carefully and then pick out just one phrase or one sentence that really sticks out to you. It it could be something that you find encouraging or confusing or, or maybe even disturbing. But just choose whatever jumps out at you. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich To enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So, this is a fascinating encounter. There's so much we could talk about here. But did you find your one phrase or or one sentence that really stood out to you? Maybe it was the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Most of us have asked that question at one time or another. Or maybe it was that strange command from Jesus. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Why would he tell the the man to do something so extreme? Kind of leaves you scratching your head. Or maybe you're like me, and and you noticed something completely different. Over the last couple weeks, as I've been reading this passage, uh, one phrase in particular jumped out at me, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Not yet, anyway. First, I want to ask you a question that might be a little uncomfortable. Are you ready for it? Here it is. Can you relate to the rich man in this story? Can, can you say that sometimes you feel like a rich person who does not want to let go of their wealth? I'm sure a lot of us would say, I definitely have my issues, but I'm not like that guy. And that may very well be true, but I want to pause for a second. If you heard Jared's sermon last week, he, he said some things that probably made you think For example, he said that right now, uh, many of us feel like things are a little tight financially. Uh, The economy's bad, inflation is sky high, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to minimize any of that. that. That's all true. But the reality is, when you compare the average American with the rest of the world, there is no doubt that we have been blessed by God in a remarkable way. When you look at the big picture, the vast majority of Americans would have to be categorized as rich. This morning, I want to take that observation and view it from a different angle. Right now, we're headed into the heart of the Christmas season. And we're, we're going to be shopping and looking for the perfect gift for the people we love. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, I think it would be helpful to look at a trend that has developed over the last few generations. That's why I have these bins next to me here. Uh, For just a moment, I want you to think of each one of these bins as a child at Christmas time. Uh, I don't know if you can see them really well, but there's three of them here. Three children at Christmas time. And I want you to think of bin number one as a child from my dad's generation. My dad grew up in the Depression, and Christmas for him was very different than what we see today. Uh, He's told me that on a normal Christmas, here's here's what he got for a present. He would get one orange, just one, and then a few pieces of hard candy. That's all, right here. On, On the best Christmas he ever had growing up, his father... Gave him a $1 bill in addition to the orange and the hard candy. So that was big time right there. Now, I would have to guess that my dad's scenario was extreme even for his generation. But over time, things began to change. After World War II, our nation became more prosperous. And for the kids growing up in the 50s and the 60s, they, they started to receive more presents at Christmas time. It was common for them to get some really nice things. But then once you get to my generation, the kids growing up in the 70s and the 80s, we, we got lots of presents, lots of good things. Now, I didn't get anything like this. This is just a stand-in for some of the cool things I got, like Star Wars toys, G.I. Joes, lots of video games. We did really well at Christmas. But you know, that, that trend never stopped. In the generations that have come along after me, things continue to change. I'll tell you about one particular Christmas that I remember. This was back when I was single. And in those days, I didn't have a family of my own, and I just kind of went back and forth to visit different relatives, just depended on which Christmas. And one year, I uh, was visiting with a certain family, And I got to watch this five-year-old boy open his presents. And man, what a great time, a five-year-old at Christmas. It's just really cool. And at one point, he opened this present. It was an amazing train set. This train would travel through a rock quarry, and there were all these moving parts. There was a a mountain, a big crane, and then these boulders that would just roll down the mountain, and the train would pick them up at the bottom and bring them back up. And I saw that box, and I was like, oh, this is great. Let's open this up. Let's put it together, and let's play with it. But the boy didn't do that. He looked at it, and he liked it, but then he set it aside because he had to get to the next present. So he opened that present, and then he went on to the next one, and then the next one. And you know, several of those gifts that he got could have been the big present that year, in my opinion. And and by the way, we're not talking about wealthy people here. We're just talking about the power of multiplication because you had the boy's parents. You had grandparents on both sides. You had aunts and uncles like me. And all of us, we just wanted this boy to have a great Christmas. We wanted to express our love for him. And we all believed that Christmas is not about gifts and toys and things like that. It's about Jesus. We all agreed on that. But what was the net effect here? That little five-year-old boy received a mountain of toys, more than he could appreciate. And along the way, he learned a lesson. He learned When it comes to Christmas, the expectation is excess. More is never enough. And what do you think happened to that train set I was talking about? Well, I was there with that family for the next few days, and he barely touched it. And then I found out by the month of February, by the month of February, they had already sold that train set in a garage sale. Now, I came away from that experience thinking, I don't think we have Christmas figured out yet. And and this is the picture that we've gotten to. This is is what's normal in our society. At Christmas time, it's just like a flood of presents overflowing. More than anyone could appreciate. And listen, I'm not pointing fingers here at all. I'm I'm right there with you. My family wrestles. we, We struggle with where to draw the line. And... I, I believe the appropriate line is somewhere between the orange and the flood, but it's, it's difficult to, to identify what God would have us do here. But while we're on this subject, I, I do have a suggestion. Over the next few weeks, we have an opportunity to pray about this and wrestle with what God would want us to do. And maybe, just maybe, he would lead us to do Christmas a little differently this year. But, you know, this illustration, it goes way beyond a child getting gifts at Christmas. We, we could look at all kinds of different categories, right? We could talk about hobbies, uh, you know, material things that we spend our money on. We, we could talk about food, screen time. There's such a pull toward excess. It reminds me of a quote I read recently from an author named Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry was writing about some of the early settlers that came to Kentucky. And he was sharing a story about a certain group of pioneers that were traveling through the wilderness. It was a cold night that he was talking about. And and on this cold night, these pioneers, they, they needed a place to stop. And they needed to build a shelter and they were going to need a fire. But these settlers were next to this Forest of great hickory trees and even though a smile, a small fire would have done the job they cut down so many of those trees and they built a massive fire and Wendell Berry made an observation that I thought was insightful he said the idea here was this when faced with abundance one should consume abundantly that idea has survived to become the basis of our present economy. Man, when faced with abundance, one should consume abundantly. Do you see that characteristic in modern American culture? I see it. All too often, I see it in myself. So let's go back to that challenging, uncomfortable question. Can you relate to the rich man in Mark chapter 10? I bet many of us can't. We want to enter the kingdom of God. We want to inherit eternal life. But at the same time, we don't want to let go of the money and the things that make us happy or give us comfort or security. All right, I want to stop and take a breath here because I know some of us might be thinking, Wow, Doug, thanks a lot for this guilt trip. I'm loving this. So glad I came to church today. But hold on, I want to share something that is incredibly positive and very encouraging. I want to share the phrase that stood out to me from the passage we read earlier. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus encountered this man who was so wrapped up in his money and his earthly possessions. And what did Jesus do? Did he look down on this man like he was some kind of terrible person? Did he walk away in disgust? That's not what he did. What does he say? Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And if you really let that sink in, it just about brings tears to your eyes because that's how God looks at us. I'm so thankful for that. Jesus doesn't see this man's selfishness and kick him to the curb. He loves this man. He wants good things for him. But the rich young man really struggles to see things from God's perspective. This man had an assumption that you can gain eternal life by following God's commands, by obeying the rules. If you manage to be good enough, then yeah, God might let you into his kingdom. In other words, God gives us all a bunch of hoops to jump through. But Jesus wants the rich man to see, no, it is not like that at all. Last Sunday, our life group was reading through this passage, and and someone pointed out that uh, there is an interesting thing that happened right before this encounter at the end of Mark chapter 9. That's where Jesus is interacting with a group of children, and the disciples want to send these children away. But then Jesus says something interesting. He said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must receive the kingdom of God like a little child. You need the simple, trusting faith of a child. And immediately after that, Jesus meets this rich young man. And he wants this man to understand the truth Entrance into the the kingdom of God. It's not something you achieve. It's something you receive. You don't earn your way to heaven by reaching a certain standard of goodness. You receive the gift of salvation by grace, through faith in Jesus. It's a gift that we don't deserve. But now hold on. If that is true, why, why did Jesus make that extreme command? Sell everything you have and give to the poor. It sounds like Jesus gave the man a huge hoop to jump through. Well, the reality is this command is not just one more big hoop. It's actually a tiny hoop. It's impossibly small. Remember Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And that's where the disciples say, well, if that's the case, who can be saved? And Jesus says, exactly. This is not humanly possible. But with God, all things are possible. Entrance in the kingdom of God is not something you achieve. It's something you receive. It's not about earning your way to God. It's about letting go. That's what that command was about. It's about saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to stop clinging to the things of this world. I'm going to stop hoping that money and things and, you know, other other aspects of this world, I'm going to stop trusting that they will give me happiness or security or significance. I'm going to let go of everything else and just trust in you. When someone becomes a follower of Jesus for the first time, that's the decision you're making, to let go of everything else, put your life in his hands, trust fully in him. But you know what? That's not just a one-time decision. That happens over and over again. At any given time, there is something in your life that God wants you to let go of. And why does he want you to let go? Is he... Trying to deprive you of good things? Absolutely not. Everything he asks is for your good and also for his glory. Look again at Ben number three. When this child is covered in a flood of gifts, what what happens? The, The sheer amount devalues each individual gift. It kills your gratitude then beyond that, it creates an expectation that more is never enough. And then it, it keeps you from having the kingdom impact that you could have because it takes away opportunities to do an extraordinary amount of good, the kind of good that leads other people to Jesus. I want to wrap up by going back to our theme of a great Legacy. We said to leave the greatest possible legacy, we need to point others to Jesus. And we can do that through our words and also through our actions. And I'll tell you what, if you want to leave the greatest possible legacy, here's here's what we have to do. We need to walk through this life every day with a deep sense of gratitude. As followers of Christ, we have several things to be grateful for. First, we can be grateful for the gift of salvation through Jesus. God loved this world so much, including you and me, that he gave his one and only son to take the penalty we deserved to die in our place. And he made a way for us to enter God's kingdom and receive the gift of eternal life. We can also be grateful for the, 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 the good gifts that God has given us to manage. You and I are managers and stewards of so many good gifts. We're blessed to be a blessing. Finally, we need to be grateful that God invites us to participate in the work of his kingdom. He gives us a significant role to play. When I keep my blessings to myself, I've noticed that I feel kind of empty. And why is that? It's because I was made for more. I wasn't made to focus on myself. And for that reason, I get fulfillment when I use my gifts to bless others and to bring glory to God and help build his kingdom. At the end of the day, gratitude, stewardship, and generosity, they all go hand in hand When you're grateful for everything that God has done, you show your gratitude by being a good manager or a good steward. And when you're a good steward, you you grow to become a radically generous person. And when you are radically generous, you will do extraordinary good in this world. Thanksgiving Day marked the end of our 60-day kingdom challenges that we picked up. It was back in September that many of us accepted a challenge. And some of us haven't completed those challenges yet, but that's okay. Uh, The intention was that we would continue long after Thanksgiving doing the work of God's kingdom. But I bring this up because I'm hearing some great stories from people who tackled these challenges. I heard another really good one yesterday. But as I close today, I want to share my family's experience. We picked up two challenges, one global, one local. And our local challenge was the one where you you raise some money, you go to a restaurant, you leave your server an extravagant tip, and then you ask that person how you can pray for them. Now, I really liked that idea, uh, but for one reason or another, we put off that challenge until right before Thanksgiving. It was actually a week before Thanksgiving. And we decided we got to do this now. So we drove up to O'Charlie's. And in the parking lot before we went inside, we prayed that God would lead us to the table where we could be a blessing. And so we got to our table. We met the server. She was really friendly. She, she took great care of us. And we talked a little bit back and forth, but it wasn't, it wasn't very personal. But when the, the time came to, to pay the check, I, I said to her, hey, we, we'd like to leave a gift here for you. And our family prays every night, and uh, is there some way we could pray for you? And I'm telling you, instantly, everything changed. Instead of a a conversation between server and customer, it was more like a conversation between friends. And she said, oh, well, uh, (laughs) I could use some peace. I I guess we could all use peace. Could could you pray for that? And then she told us that uh, that gift really meant a lot to her. Two weeks before she had COVID and she had to miss work. One week before she had some money stolen and she said, you guys really made my night. And that was really good to hear, but that's not all. Then she said, hey, what church do you guys go to? And, and this was Very cool, because I hadn't said anything about Jesus. I hadn't said anything about church. She brought it up, and it reminded me of what Jesus said. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Please believe me when I say, I am not patting my family on the back here, because honestly, we would not have done this without the kingdom challenge. I I know, we wouldn't have done it. So God gets the credit here, it's not about us, but it is a good example of everything we've been talking about, and it's just a tiny tip of the iceberg of what's possible. Throughout this year, we've been asking a question. If we follow wherever God leads, how much good could we do for His kingdom? If we started making small sacrifices that grow into bigger sacrifices and we said, God, whatever you want us to do, whatever you want us to let go of, we're willing. How much good could we do? I know we haven't reached our potential yet. Over the last few weeks, we've been asking, how can we leave the greatest possible legacy to the next generation? I think we've hit on some good answers to those questions. And I want to leave you with this. To reach our potential... To leave the greatest possible legacy, we need to let go of whatever it is that God calls us to let go of and live with gratitude and be a good steward or manager and do extraordinary good things through radical generosity. So let's do this. Let's leverage the blessings that God has given us and bring glory to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story. It's challenging, it's kind of confrontational, but it's also encouraging to know that Jesus looked at that man and loved him, to know that that's how you look at us, even when we need to make some changes in our life. So Lord, I pray that we will look to you and be willing to follow where where you lead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.